Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. And Allison Gilbert. And this week, we watched Elf, which is rounding out our Christmas trio. It's our last episode of the year! It's our last episode of the year. We're finally doing a good Christmas movie this year. We've had a couple of rough ones. It's a tough year. <laughs> Just Christmas movie white. Other than that, it's been great. That was sarcasm. <laughs> right. The The end of the year is looking rough for, for a lot of us. Um you're here you watched elf you're gonna listen to us talk about it everything's fine yeah we don't live on Svalbard, an island near the north pole where it's dark 24 hours a day which well it does look beautiful on tiktok every time i see it i'm like 24 hours a day i'm depressed just watching these videos well and also like every time she's like i'm gonna go walk my dog she takes a shotgun with her because of fucking polar bears and i'm like that's not for me and Kyle was lovely to just go somewhere like essentially off the grid and then she's like I haven't seen light in years not for me <laughs> meanwhile it gets dark at like 5 30 p.m in Los Angeles and I'm like why even try anymore <laughs> <laughs> um yes but that does not explain why in this movie there's daylight during at least some part of the day. I mean, to be fair, I've watched this movie four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand times and never thought about it until TikTok. <laughs> Should we say what movie we watched? We watched Elf. No, we didn't <laughs> say what we watched. We watched, we watched Elf, which was written by David Berengam and directed by John Favreau. It stars Will Ferrell, Zoe Deschanel, Ed Asner, Bob Newhart, James Con, James Con. Mary Steenburgen. Steenburgen. I feel like I'm missing Amy Sedaris. It's a very good cast. It was made in 2003. It holds an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. And we knew we'd like it. But we'd previously watched Surviving Christmas and Ghost of Girlfriends Pass. So, also, once again, like time is a mindfuck because I, in like doing some research for this movie and like preparing for this episode, found an interview with John Favreau from 2003 and it literally opens with like to commemorate the 10th anniversary of Elf we talked to John Favreau and I was like in 2013 was the 10th anniversary almost nine years ago I guess eight years ago I don't know why I'm saying that on this podcast this audio medium with a hair clip in my mouth like I'm not talking to listeners and not like straight just you yeah so this is almost a 20 year old movie you take you take whatever time you need with that i will say so john favreau as he does in a lot of movies he directs like shows have been a very small player he plays the doctor and i had a moment watching this time where i was like he looks a lot more like friends guest star john favreau than he does chef john favreau and that is he's like i look so different than i did in 2003 (laughs) yeah well i'm not in high school so there's that um, but speaking of Chef and John Favreau, I love, 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 love a feel-good John Favreau movie. Agreed. Like we are the only two people on this planet who are like, Chef, great movie. <laughs> Guys, I love the movie Chef. Has no plot. It's like, what if John Favreau cooked food? And I was like, I don't I give take my money. I've seen it probably five times. And like nobody else In can theaters. say that. Yeah. In the theaters, I saw that movie. It's a great movie. Kind of rom com whatever. Anyway. You know Chef was made in, like, the mid-2010s because it had also started Sofia Vergara. So it was like, mm, Modern Family is huge right now. We gotta capitalize on that Modern yes. But I feel like John Favreau, as, like, a movie maker, as a filmmaker, really understands joy. Joy. And, like, how, like, not to overcomplicate things. To just let things be joyful. Let things be fun. Um, really kind of, like, bask in 
and this movie in particular like bask in the things that are good in the childlike wonder and um there's a lot of uh, in re-watching this time around I noticed a lot of kind of like easter eggs of like homages to Christmas movies. I wrote down some. Did you write down some? I did. What did you find? Claymation movies. Yes. Is all in the all the like non-human or elf characters at the beginning, like the snowman, Mister Narwhal, the little animals are all very like claymation centric. There's a full. It's a Wonderful Life at the end of the movie when he's um, depressed and uh, sort of his father's rejected him and he doesn't know what to go. He goes and like stands on the bridge and it's like fully that shot from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, which is one of my all time favorite movies. Um, it doesn't hold up. <laughs> no. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's truly. A romantic comedy it's all about his love for his wife all right keep going anyway um it's as much romantic comedy as Elvis. Fair. <laughs> um those were the two i noticed what else i noticed the claymation casting um ralphie casting ralphie so the one of the Christmas story. main elf who is will ferrell's boss do you guys you guys know a lot of elf we don't have to go there a child human uh, climbs into Santa's bag one Christmas and then is adopted by an elf and raised as an elf, even though he's a human and then he has to go find his father. You guys know this, you don't have to get into it. Although I will say, I never thought about this time around, but how lovely that it was a man being like, I never got around to, to having children, so I adopted him, which feels like in a lesser movie, we just like immediately give to a woman. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, we're like, no, a man desired children, but he got caught up in work and never did it. So then he adopted a child. Yeah. Delightful. Anyway. What were we saying? Ralphie. Ralphie. So the his like boss in the Elf Factory is now an adult man, but when he was a kid, he played Ralphie in a Christmas story. Yes. I think he's also friends with John Favreau. Yes, he I is. Also- he's um he's Vince Vaughn's like writing and producing partner. And so and I'm blanking on his name. Peter Billingsley. Peter Billingsley. Vince Vaughn, Jeff, John Favreau kind of like all came up together and have been making movies. But most famously, I don't think he would be, he now is like a writer and a director, but right. most famous work is as Ralphie in A Christmas Story. So yes. I don't think he would be bumped for, like. No, he also is like no a multimillionaire. So like he really, we could not insult him. Yeah. Like he's fine. Um, yeah, so I think there just was a lot, like this is a movie that really kind of, takes joy in the idea of of christmas and all of that like the stuff that comes with it a lot of the movies i love and a lot of like i feel like especially as you become an adult a lot of the like christmas feelings you have turn from joy or turn from like straight joy into a mix of like joy into like kind of melancholy like yeah a sadness about christmas and have i been listening to a playlist on spotify that's just like sad Christmas music for a straight week. <laughs> As you grow up, Christmas, there's a sadness to it. Like, Santa isn't real. There's like... Whoa, spoiler alert. <laughs> like, just really hitting us with that one. Especially like the last couple years. And I think like, especially this year when we, I think we made it through last Christmas being like, we are getting vaccines so soon. And next Christmas, it's going to be better. And the, oof, haven't voiced this at any point in the last week. So here it comes. The fact that this Christmas is turning out a lot like last Christmas. And we're missing out on things and we're having to cancel things and numbers are getting terrible. And it feels 
this isn't the reality, but it feels like it's all sort of starting over again and we're never getting out of this is adding to that sort of like melancholy sadness of Christmas. And what I think I really, really love about Elf that does not, in my other favorite Christmas movies, and It's a Wonderful Life, and While You Were Sleeping, the sadness is there. And in Elf, it just isn't. Like there's story, there's stakes. It's about a guy trying to figure out who his family is. But the baseline of Elf is like, what if we just have a man who's joyful right. and tell the story of a man who feels, who finds joy in all the Has things. no cynicism whatsoever. And Has like not that. been, not been beaten down by the world at all. And brings that to people. Right. And I feel like a lot of like criticism I've heard from like, honestly, people who are like cynical and like, sort of like oh it's so just like schmaltzy and over the top and it's like that's I I love a sad Christmas movie I love a sad Christmas song I also just want to feel joy and the thing about this movie the thing that separates we talked about on our Patreon about when we were talking about the Princess Switch about like being allowed to enjoy just like stupid Christmas because the world is bad and the thing I love about this movie is it's a good movie it's well written there's so many tiny little details Yes. There are so many like tiny little detailed jokes that are so well written and so funny. And also it never sacrifices like it never has to like go into a well of darkness or cynicism or like negativity to get there. And it's truly what I needed. Yeah. Oh, I thought of one other Easter egg, which I actually didn't realize was a Christmas movie Easter egg until I read the interview with John Favreau, which I I will find and link to since I've referenced it now a couple of times, but, um, but he gets a job at Gimbel's, which is the department store in a miracle on 34th street. And is not like, it doesn't exist anymore. It hasn't existed for years. Um, and originally it was written as Macy's, but, um, and Macy's like was fully on board. They were going to let them film like in their winter wonderland that they have set up for Santa and stuff. Um, but Macy's wanted them to cut the scene where Buddy says, you're not the real Santa because Macy's like swears up and down like their Santa is the real Santa and they don't want anything that leads to the idea that their Santa is not the real Santa. Um, and so they wanted them to cut, they wanted the movie to cut that scene um, in order to be able to film there and to be able to say that it was Macy's and Favreau wasn't willing to do it. I and so Macy's Christmas thing is like, you could, it like has children, like you can bring your letters here. Right. Yeah. No, I, I don't not like, I, as a former Macy's employee, I do not want to stand them. I want to. <laughs> no, but like on that, I really don't. It's, it's like Disney, like where you can't kill any of their, princesses we i worked on a show where we did a christmas special this year and it was very hard to write because because it's like it was like it's a it was a network show but there's like a family element to it and they like really did not want us at all implying that santa wasn't real yeah and in some way i was like well this is very limiting and then in some way it's like no because like a kid's gonna watch this. right and so like i don't have an issue with macy's setting that boundary at all like i totally get it but i think it's cool that then like favreau was like no we'll make it gimbals as like this homage yeah. to Miracle on 34th Street. And that's the other thing. It's like John Favreau and I assume the writer, like there's a love of Christmas movies. Like again, like it just feels like everything's turned so cynical and like mainstream is like, what if we like change up the Christmas movie and it's like dark and 
and and everyone's sad and then they're like no what if we just like honor christmas movies and make it about a man who has just like pure unadulterated joy yeah okay i'm here for it right that's yeah. what we need yeah county yeah, falls in love with zoe de chanel pre new girl post almost famous thank you i keep wanting to call it american beauty a movie i hate and not almost famous a movie i love um yeah i actually really like zoe de chanel in this movie i like um I like Zoe Deschanel with an edge I think like we all uh, personally I associate her so closely with New Girl and Jessica Day that I forget that like she pre that played a lot of these characters that were a little bit harder a little bit edgier a little bit like not even darker but just like more cynical um I feel like I when New Girl came out I feel like I had conversations with my friends as to be fair like a shitty early 20 something <laughs> in the early 2000s. Like, I feel like when New Girl came out, we were like, who is, what is this version of Zoe de Chanel? Because I so deeply associated her with uh, Summer and 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. Which we talked about when we talked about that episode, had like, was more personally significant to me when it came out and the sister in Almost Famous. And this, like, when Jess Day showed up and was like relentlessly positive, I was like, I don't know this woman. And then obviously like I watched all the seasons of New Girl. It's one of my falling asleep shows. Like now that's who Zoe Deschanel is, me, is to me. But I love going back to pre-Jess Day Zoe Deschanel and being like, oh yeah, you were like negative and dark. Yeah. Yeah. I very much She's forget like, that. And particularly queen. because like her post Jessica Day has been this sort of like weird... I mean, she's in a relationship with the property brother. We got like you can't yeah. talk about her without being like you just become like a basic mom. Yeah, she's like in this like weird mommy blogger phase of her life, and that is not to shit on mommy bloggers. There are a lot of bloggers who are doing stuff about parenthood that I love, and as a mom follow and that so that's i, mean, I don't mean nation's premier mommy blogger is reese witherspoon and we die for her so yeah that so i don't mean that like in a derogatory way at all but i just mean like she's you know she's doing like crafty like michael's cricket spawn and like dating a property brother and like so it's this very like sh- hard shift into like feel good happy positive girl and i like being reminded of some of like her earlier like and obviously this character ends up falling in love with this childlike man um so the reason it works is because she is practical and cynical and grounded and he makes her feel joy and love and she sort of grounds him like you couldn't have had him fall in love with like a disney adult you know like he is a disney adult right like you had it had and at the time in 2003 like zoe Deschanel was the person for that yeah i also think that like it's a real testament to the two of them that like this relationship works like that that i don't ever question like this adult woman falling in love with this childlike man like it just i just buy it and i think a lot of that has to do with the two of them as actors um I could talk for days and days and days about how I feel about Will Ferrell as an actor. I, again, am, I, my career is in comedy. I grew up in the 90s. So, and I grew up on Saturday Night Live. So I think Will Ferrell, like the Will Ferrell cast of Saturday Night Live is probably the first cast that I ever watched yeah. live. Uh, I think Will Ferrell is 
one of, if not the greatest we have, like maybe since Robin Williams died, Robin Williams or Will Ferrell is the greatest we have. I've had a couple glasses of wine, so maybe I'll, but like, I just think like Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, like there's something about like that generation of actors that are so, so good. And I love this version of Will Ferrell mm-hmm. because he's so, what makes Will Ferrell so great is that he's so deeply commits to his roles mm-hmm. and takes them so seriously in a way where like, <laughs> this is weird to talk about, like on the heels of like the Jeremy Strong thing, but like, because I do think he knows that this is, Will Ferrell knows when he's making a comedy, but he can, he plays it with the like commitment of a dramatic actor he did that. I mean, that was what made him great on SNL was that he never, ever broke. He never broke. He took it so, and I don't mean like he took it seriously in like a Jeremy Strong kind of way, which by the way, if you have not read the Jeremy Strong New Yorker profile, please pause this podcast. Wild ride. It's a wild ride. Pause it right now. Do yourself a favor. Read it. The, the New Yorker does a fantastic thing where it will read you an article and it has this like really nice, like soothing british man who will read the article to you um it is jerry strong didn't know succession was a comedy it is a roller coaster it is do yourself the favor read it it is a treat he is a treat here's the difference between jeremy jeremy strong is what we learned from this article a big old weirdo who takes his job very very seriously to the point that it annoys me not in any way like but the response to like the response to the response of this article was like what are we canceling jeremy strong and everyone was like no we're just talking about what a fucking weirdo he is right He's a very good actor and he should still be allowed to act. Correct. Nobody is whatever. But like, he didn't realize Succession was a comedy until uh, Kiernan Culkin was like, bro, we're making a comedy. (laughs) Right. It's just, he takes his job very, like, I think there's a select number of actors who think that their acting is saving the world. And that is who Jeremy Strong strikes me as in a way that Will Ferrell doesn't. I think Will Ferrell knows that his job and I don't mean this negatively because I also work in entertainment. His job is trivial. Like we're not down a mine. We're not stopping COVID. We're not frontline workers. We have very, very stupid jobs in the grand scheme of things. But I think Will Ferrell knows that in order to do his job well, just to make people laugh and bring lightness to the world, he has to commit very hard to those things. And I think the reason Will Ferrell will go down in history as one of the greatest comedic actors of all time is that because he commits so hard, he doesn't break, he doesn't lose interest, he doesn't sort of have that thing of like, isn't it cool that we're all here? He is committed and he's having fun, but he's taking it seriously. And it's created some like, and again, like maybe it's the generation we grew up in, like we were teenagers when um, Anchorman came out, but like, and we were teenagers when this came out, but like he has created iconic roles. Well, and the thing about Buddy is that, like, there is nothing about the character of Buddy the Elf that is, I mean, it is absurd and it is ridiculous and it's, and he's hilarious, but like, it's not trite and it's not. It's like a genuine sweetness. Yes. Yes. And there's something very genuine about it and very sweet. I think some of my favorite moments in this movie are between Will Ferrell and the young actor who plays his brother. Um, cause his, the character of the brother is this like, kind of like tween, like young teenage kid who has a dad that's not really around and, 
um, you know, is just kind of like an angry kid in some ways and not like angry in like any kind of aggressive way, but he just is like, he's like like disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's so positive. And at one point, one of my favorite moments with him is Buddy being like, our dad's the best dad in the world. And the kid's like, our dad sucks, man. Like, right. And it's sort of like, oh, like Buddy just showed up and was like, I'm so excited to have a dad. And this kid was like, no, my, our dad's shitty. Like, right. He's realist. He's a realist. Um, but they just have this, like, again like there's something very genuine about their relationship and and i think it's a testament to both actors like this the scene where buddy is asking out jovi which is the zoe deschanel character and the brothers they're sort of like reacting like the kid has very funny mature reactions like he doesn't really say anything but so so i'm very impressed by him is all i'm saying but um anyway i just love those scenes i love the interactions between this sort of like goofy childlike man and this adult like child like the juxtaposition there is really interesting because also will ferrell is will ferrell is playing a childlike character without you right like it would be a lesser actor would be making fun of the character a lesser actor would play it trite a lesser actor would like go for the joke and will ferrell is just like playing the honest realness of a human race as an elf now in the human world and the like joy of the things he's discovering like mm-hmm. everything is so it's like watching will ferrell in this movie is should be like an acting school 101 lesson like it is playing the realness of the moment and not playing the like comedy of the moment it's so good and i agree with you like that kid is very charming and their relationship is is very sweet and it's because will ferrell is playing it honestly and I don't know anything about this kid. I, I agree with you. I think he's a very good child actor. I also think that probably has a lot to do with the ways in which Will Ferrell interacted with him and the ways in which John Favreau directed him. Like, yeah. It, it, there is a competence there that would help like a child actor, probably with a lot of natural talent, sort of like reach a higher level. Yeah. And I agree with you. I, like, I love the scene where they pelt the bullies with snowballs. Yeah. It, I just find it, and this movie is just like stakesless and joyful. The uh, um, the other, so I was reading a review where they talk about James Conn's performance. James Conn's plays Will Ferrell's biological father, who he's like come to New York to meet. And the reviewer had an issue with like, with the casting. They felt like the casting was off because Conn is, historically has played he's like a dramatic he's like a well and he's played like, he's like the Godfather. Gang, yeah, yeah he's played gangsters like That's he's played so perfect like he's played like these very like well i think what this this reviewer was feeling like is like the this children's book publisher needed to be like more polished more like posh than james con is james con is very like blue collar godfather like rough you up television show las vegas right like rough you up like but anyway so i and i get what that reviewer is saying and i and i can see that but at the same time i feel like james Conn is also like such a serious intense actor that like he took this role so seriously and that then comes through and yeah he may have not known it was a comedy (laughs) Right. Well, and I, again, in this Favreau article, which I will link to, like, he talks about how, like, he and Farrell, like, like to kind of, like, mess with James Conn because he's so serious and he's, like, such a serious actor. And, like, at one point, Will Farrell 
gave James Conn a present and and with a card it was the trilogy of the godfather and it was with a, and he gave him a card that said the first one's kind of slow but the real the second two are really good and the first one's the only one that james Conn is in like <laughs> like that's that's, that's funny. hilarious that's a great fucking joke <laughs> and like like they just like to kind of like mess with him and i and i think that like there's an extent to which yes i understand what that reviewer is saying and i get that and i do feel like there's there's something that doesn't quite connect about like how is this guy a children's book publisher who cares though like that's not the point of this movie but also because all of the actors are fully committing to this premise and playing it seriously including James Caan who is this like very serious actor that's what makes this movie work so, so well. Often, it's not striking me as hilarious. So often James Caan is working against Andy Richter and the other guy. What was the, um? so he has like two writers in his children's book company are Andy Richter and the guy whose name I'm forgetting, but he was like Jack Black's like musical comedy partner in the early 2000s. Oh, was there like, I, whatever. They had like a musical comedy yes, that was I can't dumb think of it, but and stupid yeah. and we loved it in high school. And those are the two writers. And now I'm like, it's the thing of, when we talked about in Bridesmaids when we talked, they were Jill Claiborne had died between the um, filming and the release of Bridesmaids and they were like the last scenes we're ever going to have like Jill Claiborne a classically trained like gorgeously respected actor say is like about sucking a dick like that to me is like Andy is like this, um, uh, James Conn like having to play off Andy Richter yeah <laughs> I love like, I love Andy Richter but it was just like here's your acting partner <laughs> yeah fucking like Conan sidekick well and then like in like at one point like they're in this conference room and it's like James Conn on one side and then like on the other side it's like Andy Richter Amy Sedaris and like um the guy who's we can't remember who's um Jack Black's writing partner and it's like the juxtaposition of like this set of three comics versus like James Conn is fantastic it's great also I like again we took very minimal notes for this movie partially because we've I watch it every you watch it I watch it every Christmas yeah uh so I didn't need to really remember things, but also one of the notes I wrote down was like more Amy Sedaris in this movie, in the world, yes. in the general existence of things. Like why doesn't Amy Sedaris have her own show? Like why have we not gifted Amy Sedaris? Yes. All of the things that great comedians should have. She's kind of an Easter egg too. I, I'm sorry that I keep talking about this John Favreau article, but the interview is fascinating, but like, um, part of this story or like something about this story or something that was in, inspired Favreau was from a David Sedaris Christmas like short story and so like then he cast Amy like kind of as this like nod to to David um like? yeah again I'll link to it because obviously I'm misremembering the details and the scenes between like that's the other thing I really love watching in movies like this you're right like there's joy in the scenes with him and his younger brother it's fun to watch him act against james Conn. but one of my all-time favorite things is watching two master comedians be master comedians together and in the very few moments when will ferrell and amy sedaris interact it's just like it's 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 so geeky and nerdy and fucking killing but it's like probably like it's like watching mozart like amy sedaris and will ferrell are the great two of the greatest comedians in the world and so just watching them like play off each other i could do it all day yeah i thought the same thing i mean they have very few scenes together but i thought about the scenes between will ferrell and bob newhart and it feels like it's almost like like a passing of the torch the night before i watched elf i watched home alone 
because I was living alone and I was afraid I was going to catch COVID and not be able to come here for Christmas. But I took a test before I got on the plane and it was Nagy. So if I'm positive now, we're all living it together. <laughs> <laughs> so I caught it from the asshole across from me on the plane who wouldn't wear his mask properly. Too late. Um, but I had a moment of like, oh, there's these like sweet nods to like mall Santas. Like in Home Alone, Kevin needs... And he, he like needs to tell Santa that he wants his family back. And it's the sweet, like he's eight years old and he needs to tell Santa he wants his family back. And that Santa's so sort of like understanding and nice and also trying to get to a party, but sort of like, okay, kid, like whatever. And this guy's just sort of like, I'm cashing a dollar and buddy knows the truth. Yeah. I don't know. I just love a, I love a reveal of a fake. Yeah. I think one thing about this movie that like has been, discussed over the years about like whether or not it holds up is the um peter dinklage performance so i think there's been a lot of discussion over the years about like okay so there's this scene where they so, brought in this like, like james Conn is this children's book that publisher things are kind of tanking for him so they bring in this sort of like children's book writer savant who's played by peter dinklage he like you know can't miss basically um but he's also like grumpy and like he's sort of playing the stereotype of like famous rich guy yes and buddy comes into the meeting and like because buddy grew up in the north pole like immediately thinks he's an elf and starts referring to him as an elf and peter dinglage obviously takes offense to that um and then like a physical fight breaks out between them and a lot of people i will say an equally matched physical fight yeah it's so, not like will ferrell is because part of the joke of the entire movie is will ferrell is so tall how does he not realize he's an elf when he's around all these actual elves and then like he's matched with peter dinklage who is an actual little person but like they have a fair fight there's never any joke of like will ferrell like peter dinklage is little so he loses right and so and i am i do not move through this world as a little person or as a person with visible disabilities and so in a lot of ways, I, I don't have the authority to speak to this, but there, there's something about the way that the, that the setup is that for me works. Like, first of all, when they are in the North pole, I say in the North pole, when they're quote, Harry, unquote, it's real. It's when they're real in the North pole, when, uh, the princess switch lady is in Chicago. They don't use any actual little people as, to play like the elves in the North pole, they use like whatever actors they've cast for their purposes and use, camera and use and them, like Carol's own like six corner. Yeah. Like their perspective. It's not Wizard of Oz and icky casting. Right. Or Willy Wonka or like anything like that. And Dinklage has always said like from, he has always said like, I refused from day one. I was not going to be cast as, a dwarf I was not going to be cast as a leprechaun like I was not taking those roles I was only taking roles that felt real in some way that felt like they weren't playing with stereotypes they weren't playing with tropes they weren't belittling or in some way um and you know in a lot of ways that served him well like he is one of the most successful actors in Hollywood in a lot of ways um I will say I think there are a lot of ways in which Peter Dinklage I don't, I don't want to shit on actors who are also little people who do take roles that are demeaning. Of course. Peter Dinklage has a lot of privilege. He's a white man. He's had a lot of success in his acting and he's able to um, pick and choose those roles. And I think a lot of little people maybe aren't. And that's uh, 
decision makers in Hollywood's fault and not that of, like if, if someone needs to pay their bills, they Correct. might have to take a role that is shitty and that sucks. And we should, and it's really incredible that he's sort of and empowering that he's sort of like I'm taking these roles, but that also comes with an inherent amount of privilege. Correct. It's like the um, the Hattie McDaniel yes um, line where she was like, "Well, I got to eat," you Correct. know. Like sometimes you just got to take the roles to pay. Um, That's a Hollywood problem, not an individual actor. Correct. Problem. Correct. Um, and there, like, there is something about this scene where, and I. I can really, I can see both sides of it. And I did try and seek out like different opinions and you me a good article, yeah, I think. like a couple of different opinions about um, the, the, but like one of the things that I think works in this scene is like, we're not punching down. Like the joke is not that, that Peter Dinklage is short or that he is. No, the joke is that buddy is ignorant. That buddy is ignorant. And that buddy grew up in a world where, everyone is shorter than him and like in the world buddy grew up in he is he is the person that is different in some way like his world is not built for him much in the same way that like our world is often not built or always not built is not built for for people with physical disabilities or people who are who are little people um like that was buddy's reality and so and like everyone in the room the perspective of the room and the perspective of the movie is like Buddy is being ignorant. Buddy is stepping in it. And right. And Peter Dinklage is not playing in, like, that character does not play to any of the stereotypes of the leprechaun no, or the little rich. person. Like, he's demanding. He seems like kind of an asshole. He makes some comment to Buddy about how, like, I get more tail in a week than you've ever seen in your right. entire life. Like, he is like hot, rich, powerful, and a little person. Right. Um, yeah. And so there's something like, honestly that I felt like was kind of like interesting because it did flip a lot of that on its head now I can also see that like the argument that like shouting elf at a little person like regardless of the context is jarring and could be traumatic and I and again like I don't know that I have a lot of authority to speak to any of this but from my perspective, I feel like there is an extent to which, like, that scene does hold up. Well, and there's the perspective of the movie is, like you said, like, Buddy is in the wrong. Right. And also, like, because Buddy is childlike, there's this joy in being, like, somebody I know. Like, or somebody right. like my friend. Like, he's in this whole strange new world and his father doesn't super accept him. And then he sees someone who he equates with someone back home who he loves. And there's, like, a childlike joy in that. And so then he steps in it. Yeah. And again, the point of the scene is not like, ha ha ha, how funny is it that some people are born little? The perspective of the scene is like, oh fuck. If you had a man who was raised, if elves are real in this world, and you had a man who was raised exclusively around elves and then entered the human world and saw a little person, that would be their reaction. Well, and I think there's also something to the fact that like children and again, this is a person with like a childlike sensibility, like children, we all do it. I mean, this is part of where like implicit bias comes from is like, we make patterns. Right. And so like kids in particular, like make patterns. And so it's like, oh, I've seen like little people in this context. So they like, that is always the context. And so it plays into buddies, like childlike sensibility. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, 
And Buddy loses that day. Like, Peter Dinklage beats the shit out of him. Right. Buddy loses. Like, Buddy's the loser. Yeah. And we still empathize with him because he's childlike, but it's, but we're not leaving that scene being like, he didn't deserve to get the shit kicked out of him. Right. Like, you and I are not little people, so we can't speak to, like, the personal feelings of that, but it does feel like this movie is handling it in a, I watched it and I felt like I didn't feel an icky. I was like, this feels something like, like something I should think about, but not like something that doesn't necessarily hold up. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't make me like be like, oh, this is. It doesn't feel like we're exploiting little people or we're poking fun at them. Yeah. And it, and maybe, and, it, and maybe because it's Peter Dinklage and again, like he's. A, it helps that it's Peter Dinklage. So it feels like we're like. Like he has some agency and he's in control because he's Peter Dinklage. Um, now, granted, like Peter Dinklage now has far more power and agency than he did in 2003. But like, even still, like he very much was in command of his own career, even in 2003. And so w- if it were a different actor, would I feel differently? Maybe. Um, so I think the casting certainly goes a long way to oh. making that scene feel like there's power parity there. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting discussion. I would be interested to hear from you all if you have, like your thoughts, feelings about yeah. it. It's, it's also just so deeply not a disability we see that often on screen. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like other than Peter Dinklage, our exposure to little people in TV and movies is like the little people reality, like the little people at LA, little people Atlanta reality shows. And like, there's the guy that played like uh, Minnie Me in the Austin Powers movies. Fern Troyer. Fern Troyer. And those, I haven't watched the Austin Powers movies in truly decades, but those do feel like my memory of those is sort of exploitative. So it's yeah. sort of like, we don't have that much representation of little people in media. And so when Peter Dinklage shows up, we're like, this is a good one (laughs) because this is a good actor who is making good choices. And like, I think it's probably indicative of like, oh, we should probably address this. We should probably have more, like like any uh, marginalized group. It's like, oh, we should probably just have more more on-camera representation and more off-camera decision-making. Right. Um, because if Peter Dinklage cannot be our touchstone of, like, well, if he's there, it's okay. Right. Uh, but at the same time, like, because I respect Peter Dinklage as an actor and a person, there is a level of, like, well, he's there, so it's okay. Yeah. We yeah. watched Elf, and I didn't hate myself because I wasn't watching fucking Ghosts of Girlfriends past. Guys, I've gone into the lexicon of Christmas rom-coms and next year's going to be better. (laughs) In part. Um, Yeah, I don't have anything else. I love this movie. I loved watching it. It was actually what I needed this week. In addition to lots of princess switches, which join us on Patreon for that wild ass conversation. It's up. It's been up for a week. How are you not already subscribed? All right. What are we watching next? Next week, we are watching working girl because there's just not enough Harrison Ford and we want to kick off the year right and the only way to do that is with Melanie Griffith and Harrison Ford do you think it will hold up so here's the thing three to four years ago when I was I moved into a new apartment and didn't have internet set up yet the only DVD I had was working girl and I watched it and I this was still like long enough ago 
that I don't fully remember, but I remember like getting halfway through and being like, this isn't going to hold up. And then it did. So I, I honestly think it's going to do, I'm so nervous to say this. I predict it will do better than we think it's going to do. Okay. I have not watched it in years. I think it was progressive. I think it's a story about a woman being sexually harassed at work. Yes. And so I think it was probably progressive for the time and maybe not as far as we wanted to go in 2022 now, but I do think, and I think at one point I remember getting worried that like Harrison Ford was going to get icky and then he didn't. So I'm hoping that that memory is correct. Okay. Well, join us to find out. out. Yeah. Join us to find out. Where can people find us? You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod on Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast and on Patreon. Because if you haven't listened to our Princess Switch episode, guys, it's fully deranged. (laughs) (laughs) We lost our minds. Um, It's fun. We're having fun. The Patreon's going to be fun. Please sign up for it. If you feel so moved to give us your money. Yes. But also, you will always have free regular episodes here, so like, don't yeah. be obligated. I don't know. It's hard to ask people for things. We'll get better at it. That's our New Year's resolution. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>